0: Chapter 3. Familiarisation. Back in those days, there were two ways of joining the police. You could apply in the normal way, or you could apply to the Graduate Entry Scheme. The Graduate Entry Scheme allowed undergraduates or graduates to apply to the police and follow a fast-track process. The scheme would more or less guarantee that you would rise to the rank of Chief Inspector within approximately five to seven years of joining. You still needed to sit and pass the sergeant's and inspector's exams along the way. However, you could progress your career much faster. And in many ways, the scheme was a bit like a military officer selection process. For the vast majority of people wanting to be police officers, the other process was to apply to be a police constable and to progress your career, if you wanted to, in your own time. The common denominator was that everyone, regardless of how they joined, would spend a minimum of two years on the beat in uniform as a police constable. This was and is seen as a necessary period without which it is almost impossible to understand what frontline policing involves. I toyed with the idea of joining under the Graduate Entry Scheme. I found out that there was a familiarisation course lasting about three days which would allow you to gain an insight into the organisation and decide if it was for you. Therefore, I applied to do this familiarisation course and they gave me a date to come down to London. On the allotted day, I arrived in London and met a few other people on the same course. They put us into pairs and my buddy, whose name was Paddy, seemed a decent sort. He was a rugby player type and the way he spoke suggested that his family had a few quid and they probably had a private school education. The general idea was that the Met would spend several days showing us around various departments of the force, which would presumably help us to decide whether the police was for us or not. I can't remember all that much about some of the duller sessions we had over those few days. Many of them were delivered by rather earnest sergeants and inspectors on the scheme, and tended to focus on policing areas that didn't exactly inspire me. It was a bit like wanting to join the parachute regiment, to jump out of planes, but then being taken to see the finance department that procured the bloody parachutes. However, there was a couple of sessions that I remember very well. One of the visits was to a local criminal investigation department, CID, where we would have the opportunity to speak to a senior detective. We were taken to Golders Green in North London and shown into a fairly typical Victorian police station. It was a lovely old building that had stood the test of time and was a rabbit warren of corridors, staircases, tiled floors, and leaded windows. I can remember being taken with Paddy up several staircases and along corridors past offices full of cigarette smoke and the tap tapping of typewriters. Our guide showed us into the Detective Chief Inspector DCI's office. We walked in and were offered a chair in front of the DCI. He was sitting behind a desk. He was in his forties and had jet like hair which was brushed back with hair lacquer. He had a sharp, hooked nose, a flinty gaze, and a Mediterranean complexion. There were large maps of gold as green, and the surrounding geographies on the walls with dozens of pins in different colours dotted or clustered around the maps, presumably representing various types of crimes in different locations. I could see immediately that he was looking at us with an expression of mild distaste which he was attempting to hide but not trying very hard to do so. We asked him a few questions about life in the CID and he answered them as briefly as he could to the point where it soon became quite oppressive in the room. I listened to my voice and I cringed inwardly at the stupidity of some of the questions I was asking him. His demeanour and monotone delivery made us both feel pretty uncomfortable. At one point, a plainclothes detective popped his head around the door and apologetically asked him for a minute. He addressed him as Governor. He got up and left us alone for a couple of minutes. Paddy looked at me, grinning nervously. This bloke bloody hates us, do you reckon? he whispered. I nodded in agreement and we sat there waiting for him to come back. He returned a moment later and sat back down on the other side of the desk, looking at us coldly. Plucking up courage, I asked him what he thought of the graduate entry scheme. He pursed his lips and wrinkled his nose as if a horrible smell had just wafted into the room. It's not how I would choose to do things, he said. There are a few decent people in the scheme, but mostly they're all useless, and they'll never be police officers as long as they've got a hole in their arse. And with that, our interview with the DCI was over. He apologised and told us they had things to attend to, and someone escorted us back to the front office to await our chaperone. I reflected on the meeting when we left. In a weird sort of way, I'd find it both fascinating and alluring. Here was a guy who operated in a completely different world that I'd never experienced and didn't understand one tiny bit. He was obviously deeply suspicious of academic types, and had little time for bright young things who leapfrogged everyone else, and who did not have to climb the greasy career pole that he and people like him had had to climb. I had a second memorable experience on the last evening of the course. We'd been at an event at a school hall or somewhere like that. It had involved members of the public in some consultative capacity with the police. I can remember it was a bad-tempered meeting and the inspector who was fielding questions from members of the public had begun to look somewhat flustered. After the event, they had arranged for a vehicle from the local police station to pick us up and take us to Euston Station where we'd get a train back up to Birmingham. As we left, we could see the police car parked with its engine running in the street. Our chaperone spoke to the driver briefly and opened the door to let us in. I can remember this encounter as if it was yesterday both the driver and the navigator were in their early 30s both were thick set and were wearing short-sleeved white uniform shirts i could see that they both had tattoos on their arms the car was a rover sd1 at that time it was the fastest response car in use by the metropolitan police we both climbed into the back seat Against the low background rumble of a a 3.5-litre V8 engine ticking over in that quiet suburban street, I could hear periodic transmissions coming from the radio set in the car. I strained to listen to the short snatches of dialogue from different crews responding to the Scotland Yard operator. It all sounded thrilling as I caught phrases like Suspects decamping, armed robbery in progress, violent mail threatening officers with a knife. The voices of the radio operator at Scotland Yard and the police officers out on patrol around London sounded very calm and very professional in stark contrast to the nature of the incidents they were responding to, which sounded pretty alarming. There were lots of acronyms and language used that meant nothing to me. I was desperate to understand it all. It's worth pointing out here that whilst the technology has changed beyond recognition, the way that police officers are deployed to urgent jobs, and the language used is more or less the same now as it was 30 years ago. It worked well then, and it still works well now. The driver of the car turned round to us and asked us what we'd been doing. I told him that we were thinking about joining the police, and that we were on a familiarisation course that had just finished. I can remember he had a broad Cockney accent, and he looked as if he could handle himself in a fight. This was my first encounter with frontline officers as opposed to hand-picked corporate types who could be trusted to stay on message. He gave my explanation a moment's thought, and then said, Why the fuck do you want to join this job? This is a fucking shit job. And with that pithy observation, he gunned the big rover and set off at an alarming speed through the London traffic. I can remember sitting in the back of the car on that warm summer night, watching everything going past in a blur, the sound of the big V8 engine roaring away and the disembodied voices bubbling out of the radio as we made our way extremely and unnecessarily rapidly towards Euston. We got out of the car at the station and stood grinning and laughing at each other like a pair of big kids. We laughed at the exhilaration and what felt like the borderline insanity of the drive to the station. From that moment on I was in no doubt whatsoever what job I wanted to do.